everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. Over a year into the COVID-19 pandemic, the global economy is finally seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. So we thought it was an optimal moment to check the pulse in Germany, France, and Italy. In this episode, with Arna Holzhausen, Head of Wealth and Insurance Research, we talk about the most surprising results from the third edition of our survey, the Allianz Pulse 2021. Hello, Arna. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hello, Maria. So first of all, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the uh, the Allianz Pulse, can you tell us about it? Yeah, well, the Allianz Pulse is an annual survey of representative sample of 1,000 people in Germany, France, and Italy. And we ask them about their views on political and economic issues as well as their expectations. And all in all, we ask more than 40 questions ranging from those on current economic and political situation at the national and EU levels to climate policy, digitalization, working from home, and globalization. So, and we thought that more after more than one year in the firm grip of COVID-19, we can finally see, we are all looking forward at the light of the end, at the light, at the, at the light, at the end of the tunnel. And I think this is now the right moment to check the pulse in these, uh, in, in different countries in the European Union. And so we conducted the survey at the last week of May via an online questionnaire. Right. And so why why specifically uh, Germany, France, and Italy? Why did you pick these three countries? Yeah, well, there's a very simple answer. France, Italy, and Germany are our main markets, our home markets here in Europe. But also, they are the heavyweights in the European Union. They call the political shots these three countries. So the mood in these countries sets a tone for the whole union, for the whole European Union. And understanding how ordinary French, Italian or German people tick goes a long way in detecting possible political shifts in Europe. So that's the reason why we choose these three countries. Okay, that makes sense. And so, you know, tell us, what were some of the most surprising results this year? Well, there, for sure, if you do such a survey at such times, there are a lot of surprises. I would just like to highlight two surprises that are really, really surprising in my view. And one example is about digitalization. Okay. When asking about digitalization, we expect the respondents to be quite enthusiastic. I mean, after all, just imagine if the pandemic had hit us 20 years before yeah. without Zoom, without Amazon, without Netflix. I mean, it's unthinkable. But Surprisingly, the attitudes to digitalization have hardly changed in all the three countries. So, for example, take Germany as an example. There, as the year before, more Germans see more opportunities than risks in digitalization. That's good. So far, so good. Mm -hmm. But the number has hardly changed. It's hardly increased. And with 44%, it remains still well below the 50% mark. That means that the majority, the absolute majority, still remain skeptical or undecided about digitalization. The situation in Italy is quite similar. And in France, in France, there are even more respondents that think there are more uh, 
disadvantages than advantages of digitalization. They are more opponents than proponents of digitalization. And that's really surprising. And one reason we could think about this widespread skepticism is that only a few respondents actually feel well prepared for the digital world. All in all, only 30% of the respondents say they are. The rest complains about infrastructure problems, lack of skills, unaffordable equipment, and 10% of the respondents say, well, we refuse to embrace by the digital world altogether. We uh, want to be served analogous mm. as in the years and decades before. So digitalization is not everywhere, just not in the people's heart. And another example is also quite surprising is climate policy. I mean, for sure, the majority, the vast majority of EU citizens is likely to agree with the fight against climate change. After all, this is a decisive challenge of our times. Yeah. But there seems to be little agreement on the course Europe should take to decarbonize its economy. It starts with the pace. For example, only 28% of all respondents agreed with the goal of reducing emissions by 55% by 2030. Okay. And especially in France and Germany, this rejection was quite high. And the reasons for this rejection, rejection of this uh, target emission goal, this has different reasons. It's very widely because one third, roughly one third of the respondents say, well, this target is not ambitious enough. While one third of the respondents say, well, it's going already too far. So there is really no agreement and how to and how fast to decarbonize. But it also continues, it also applies to the instruments. I mean, you can ask policymakers, you can ask business leaders, academics, everyone will say higher carbon prices are really the instrument to steer the economy away from fossil fuels. This is indispensable. Yeah. However, our survey shows that rising carbon prices remains a very unpopular move. Only 22% of Italian and German respondents would be prepared to accept a carbon tax with price increases of 10% or more. Mm. In France, this percentage is even as low as 14%. And this is more or less unchanged from last year. Also surprising in this context is that the income level does not seem to play a role in the assessment of the carbon tax. Responsibility of the, for the climate at end ends at one own wallet, and regardless how big the wallet is. Okay. And so what what would you say changed the most compared to last year in this year's survey? Yeah, if I just if said, I mean, for us, probably the biggest surprise was that so little have changed over the okay. course of this extraordinary year. I mean, be it digitalization, for example, be it climate policies, but also if you ask about the advantages of the EU membership, about globalization, most respondents have not changed their minds. Okay. The pandemic has destroyed lives and livelihoods, but not beliefs. And that's why we have chosen the title for this year's Alliance Pulse, Old Beliefs Die Hard. But there is, for sure, one notable exception, and this is uh, very fortunate because this is how the future is seen. There's a really detectable mood swing, mm. and especially this is visible in France and Italy. Last year, for example, only 15% of the French and 20% of the Italian respondents thought the outlook for their country would be good. This year, this number has increased twofold, to 30% in France and 35% in Italy. Still, I mean, that means that the doomsayers in these two countries, not in Germany, but in Italy and France, in the majority, but nonetheless, the increase is quite remarkable. And moreover, if you 
do not ask about the general situation, but if we ask about the personal future, then the picture becomes even brighter. In all three countries, the optimists outnumber the pessimists, and this by a wide margin of 10 percentage points and more. And especially the young are upbeat. For example, 70% of Germans, 69% of French, and 65% of Italian respondents aged between 18 and 24 rate their personal future as good. And there's almost no differences between the three countries. So that means that the majority of those surveyed, and especially the younger ones, are still firmly believe in their own future. They believe in change for the better. And it's up then to the decision makers in politics and business not to let them down. Okay. So let's talk about that more in detail. What exactly do the results of this year's survey mean for policymakers? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, well, I guess that some policymakers might be tempted to think that after these extraordinary times, after all the misery we went through together, there's a new sense of community. There's a pioneering spirit to hmm. build back better. I mean, right. build back better is a really nice a slogan. It's a nice promise, but don't take it for granted. For many of our respondents, is building back better seems to ring like a hollow promise. Take, for example, the huge recovery fund, Next Generation EU. I mean, the EU is here mobilizing billions of euros to support its members with common debt and even with grants. It means almost half of the money has not to be paid back. That's great. It's a paradigm shift compared to the reaction to the euro crisis. Right. But as long as the money is not flowing yet and as long as the results are not visible, most respondents remain unimpressed. As before, the vast majority, all in all 45%, believes that the COVID-19 crisis will weaken solidarity in the EU. And only 27% think the opposite. So EU skepticism hasn't crumbled yet. As before, there are more respondents that see more disadvantages than advantage in EU membership in France and Italy. Well, in Germany, we have more proponents and opponents, but only of the EU, but only by small margin. So the bottom line, as always, deeds, not words, are what will count. And the EU, in my view, has a great chance to, to, to prove its worth in the rebuilding of our economies and societies after the COVID-19 right. crisis. And not to mention the change in geopolitical landscape that also opens some opportunities for the European Union to make their case. But it might be its last chance, and it's an opportunity better not to be wasted. So winning the minds and hearts of Europeans for the European project remains an uphill struggle, even after COVID-19. And European policymakers have to deliver. That's the point. To deliver, and this can only be done by working closely together. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Arno. We'll speak to you next time. Okay. Bye-bye, Maria. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too, and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode.